Listen, excited to be with you on this Wednesday Live. I want to take a quick moment and I want to read to you a psalm that is a very notorious psalm. Uh, For some of you that have grown up in the church, this is a psalm you probably know by heart. Uh, For some of you that are newer to church, it may be a psalm that you've heard of but don't really know the context. And for others, this may be completely new. Uh, On all accounts, this is a psalm that I know will have tremendous impact. But it's the 23rd Psalm. And when you read this psalm, uh, I was just intrigued by this because I was actually preparing another passage that I felt would be really good for this moment. But this one just weighed so heavily on me. And I know as a pastor and somebody that, uh, you know, you you do a ton of research and a ton of study and you're always doing different things. You kind of feel like the scriptures that are more popular in the Christian world, you not that you intentionally stay away from, but you're always afraid that uh, maybe they're, you're, you, you've used them recently or this or that. And so sometimes you have a little bit of a, you're a little squeamish towards um, some popular scriptures for no other reason than uh, you forget the power in them. And I'm guilty of that, where you forget how powerful some of these scriptures are, like the Jeremiah 29 11, which is a, uh, a scripture that God gave the prophet Jeremiah for the Israelites as they were going into exile. For 70 years, they were getting ready to go into exile. But the scripture says, and you see this all over the place. You'll see it on bumper stickers. You see it all over um, Instagram. I know the plans I have for you. And then it says, declares the Lord, plans to prosper, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. But then it tells them they're going to go into exile for 70 years. We don't include that part. We don't include the part, you're getting ready to go through something really tough, but this is the part that I want you to know. Or Philippians 4, 6, submit everything to the Lord with prayer and petition, thanksgiving in your heart. That's one of my favorite verses. And so uh, Psalm 23 is kind of in those realms where you get these scriptures. And, but when you really dig into the scripture, no matter how much you know it, you realize how powerful it is. And so uh, I want to apologize on behalf of, um, of all the times that maybe I've avoided a scripture. Um, no, but honestly, I've, I, honestly, one of the things I can tell you I don't do is um, I don't care if there's a scripture that I, I had last week in a message. If I feel it fits this week, I'm going to use it again because scripture is powerful no matter how many times you use it. And so Psalm 23, I'm going to read it. But basically, this is David. This is King David. And David, you have to understand, was a shepherd. And so David, before he became a king, was a shepherd. And he understood what it was like to have a rod and a staff and to lead the sheep and um, where they would drink and how they would be nourished and how to take care of them. So when David writes about a shepherd, he understands intimately what that responsibility is as a shepherd because he knows that you're responsible for keeping the sheep alive. And he also knows that it's just you and the sheep. You don't have your friends and family out there. Um, There's no kids and wives. It's you and these sheep. And it doesn't matter if it's uh, snowing, if it's thunder and lightning, if it's a windstorm, if it's a sandstorm, it's just you and the sheep. And so Whenever that shepherd has those sheep, he protects them at all costs because it's, that's value to their family. It's how their family survives. With the, that's their welfare. Imagine all the money you have in your bank account flying around on a hill, and you've got to make sure it stays in a certain area. Crazy picture, but pretty accurate as to what it probably felt like to be a shepherd. If you lose one, it's a financial burden, but also you, become, you, get, you get to know these sheep. They hear your voice. There's a, there's a connection you start to make because they know who you are as well. And so um, any of my dog lovers out there, I mean, sheep are nothing but you know, really different looking dogs, okay? They follow the lead, they listen to you. Um, I don't know how true that is, but I do know um, that, uh, that sheep, uh, they get to know the shepherd and they, they follow and they're just followers. And so David writes, I want you to keep that in mind when we read Psalm 23 because he's writing this as a shepherd who was very intimate, who understood the sheep, who, who knew what they needed to survive. And so he, he relays this uh, metaphor, if you will, to God being the shepherd and us being his sheep. Because for him, it's the most intimate way that he could create a picture of what God means to him. So in Psalm 23, verse 1, it says, The Lord is my shepherd. And then it says, I have all that I need. We could probably stop right there, and that's all, that's all that we would need to speak 
tonight. The Lord is my shepherd. He's my caretaker. He's my guide. He is my defender. He is my protector. He is my security. He is my love. He is the one that goes before me. He is the one that prepares my paths. He is the one that walks up the hill before I do. He's the one that smooths out the rocks before I touch it. He's the one that places everything I need before me. He's the one that provides for every need. He's the one that loves me unconditionally. He's the one that prepares the pathway and makes it to where I won't stumble. You could put so many words right here, but the Lord is my shepherd. And that word goes on to an eternity of description. But I love the next word, the next thing David says. He says, yeah, I have all that I need. And then you're saying, well, why is that, David? Why is that all that you need? And then it says, he lets me rest in green meadows and leads me beside peaceful streams. See, for a shepherd, green meadow, uh, that's a great place. It's a place to eat. It's a place to sleep. It's a place to relax. You're not behind these rocks where you don't know if what's on the other side of it. You don't know if there's a wolf. You don't know if there's a bear. You, you're in this place where you can see everything around you. And so sheep can rest in the meadows because they know they can see fully around them what their dangers may be. But then it says, he leads me beside peaceful streams. You may say, well, why is that important? Well, sheep won't drink out of ponds. They won't drink out of still water. They need to drink, they'll drink out of something that's moving. And so David was saying this as a way of God provides a place for me where I can rest. He provides a green meadow. I can see all around me. There's nothing that can harm me. And I can rest there because I know that my harm is isolated. And it's far off because I see what's going on. And he leads me beside peaceful streams, a place that I can hydrate. I have a deep appreciation for this. I remember in high school when I played in Western Maryland, when I played football, we lived up in the mountains. And uh, our way of getting fo- uh, water for football was they drilled holes in PVC pipe and they hooked it into a, a hose and they would turn the hose on in the PVC pipe. The water would fly all different directions, right? And you'd run over this little PVC pipe and you'd get some water. I've never been thirsty, more thirsty in my life than I was playing football uh, early on in high school. For whatever reason, I remember that PVC pipe being like the pipe of, of living water, uh, of, of eternal life, um, because back then there, there wasn't such a, uh, I guess you would say, a passion about hydrating players. Usually it was a discipline if you didn't get drinks. Uh, now, you know, as they should, everybody gets water. But I remember that feeling of, man, we get a water break. You might get two or three of practice, you know, like, oh, we get a water break. This is, this is, this is something good. But I cannot, that's what I always think of. I always think of that illustration every time I think of this passage because there's never a time in my life I've desired water more and I felt like my body was depleted past depleted. And David is trying to say the green meadows and the, the, the water moving is equivalent to you sitting at your favorite place, the most comfortable couch, the most comfortable setting, whether it's in a beach chair on the beach, eating your best meal with your best uh, dessert and your best water or your, your best beverage beside you. It's saying everything in life I have the best of it right now. This is my perfect scenario. He's saying that's what it's like following God is that you're always in a place where you can find the green meadow in the, in the, the stream that's moving. And then he goes on and he says, he renews my strength. How many of y'all would like to have renewed strength? Come on, somebody. He said, he renews my strength. And then it says, he guides me along the right paths. And you think, well, this is great. He got green meadows. We got moving streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths. But then the last part of this, why would God do all this? Well, he loves you and he sees you. And he desires you. But why would he do all this? Well, I'm glad you asked. God does all this, it says, to bring honor to his name. Because he knows that when other people see your life, and when you live for God the way that he's designed you, that you'll, your life will reflect him, that people will see him through you. So through your green meadows and through the peaceful streams and, 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 and through the strength and the right paths, people will see 
him through you because your life is bringing honor to his name. Isn't that a beautiful picture? You're thinking, wait, all I have to do is let God be my shepherd. That's all it says. When you can declare the Lord is my shepherd, not just saying it, but declaring it, which means it's coming from your soul, from your heart, from who you are, everything changes. And then it goes into verse four, because I think verse four is where most of us are at. It's not a bad thing, it's just a thing. So we say, well, we want God to be our shepherd, to guide us into the nice meadows, into the the waters that move, and uh, he will renew our strength and guide me along the right paths. But verse four is probably where most of us live. And this is what it says. Even though I walk through the darkest valley. All right, we can pause right there. Because I think most of us, for a lot of our life, unless we understand the Lord is our shepherd, we will feel like we're walking through the darkest valley. Life feels like the darkest valley. It doesn't matter where you're at mentally, where you're at spiritually, life has a way of making us feel like we're always walking through the darkest valley until you walk through the next valley, and then it's darker than the one you were in before. Now, valleys can be months across. Valleys can be days across. Valleys can be years across. I would, I would say valleys can be decades across. I would say you can have a valley when you're 18, another one when you're 78. It just depends on what you look at as your valley. But what scripture is saying is that even though I walk through the darkest valley, saying this dark place in my life, which how many of us have been to the darkest place ever until we go to the next place? Then we're in the darkest place ever, right? It's you're like, I didn't think it'd get any worse. And then you're like, oh, it got worse. Why? Because when we're looking at their valleys, a lot of times it's really intimidating. And all you see is the darkness instead of looking at the shepherd where you realize, well, he leads you through the valley. So if he leads you into the green meadows and he leads you beside the water that is peaceful and it's not raging, you can get a drink and he renews your strength and guides you along the right paths. And the darkest valleys, you should know, well, it's a dark valley, but God will find the green meadow. God will find the, the peaceful stream. He'll renew my strength and he'll guide me along the right path. But the problem is when we get in the dark valleys, we just see the dark valley. We don't see the meadows and the streams and the paths and the strength, right? And so what David is trying to say is, as God is my shepherd, I see things a little bit differently than if he wasn't. He says, he, even though I walk through the darkest valley, and then he says this, because God's his shepherd, he says, I will not be afraid. Come on, say this with me. I will not be afraid. That's a declaration. And it says, for you are close beside me. And then he uses a, a, a form that only a shepherd could truly understand. He says, your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. Those are shepherd's weapons. And what he's saying is, God, the things that you would use in your hand to protect your sheep, I am your sheep. I am submitted to a place where I will just follow you and trust you to completely provide for all of my needs. You see, the shepherd could wipe out an entire flock if he took them to a place of danger, if he took them off of a cliff, if he took them to a place where there was no peaceful streams or a place to eat, no green meadows. A shepherd could destroy the entire flock. But what he's saying is, I understand the uh, vulnerability and I understand the Uh, the way that a sheep relies on its shepherd. And as a shepherd doing this for a living, regardless of the amount of influence God has given me as a king, I submit to God as my shepherd. I submit to him as the one who will renew my strength and guide me and direct me. And even if I'm in the darkest valley, I'm not going to be afraid because I know you're right beside me because I know what a a good shepherd would do. And I also know that you know how to use that rod and your staff. And it's going to comfort me. I love how it doesn't say your rod and your staff protect me. It says your rod and your staff protect me. And 
comfort me. I think sometimes we just give God the credit as he is uh, the ultimate bouncer. <laughs> he's, he's my fighter. He's going to do it for me. But what the Bible says is it protects me. So he is that. But then he also comforts me. And that's the part where I feel like a lot of us don't get to because we lack intimacy. Because God protects us because we need him and we yearn for that, but we don't let him comfort us. You see, protection is God's quality. That's something that he does. Comfort is something that we allow. Protection, he's going to protect you regardless of whether or not you want protected. But comfort, you have to allow God to comfort you. You have to receive what he's, what he's giving. Somebody doesn't come up and just give you a hug and it, it's comforting. Sometimes somebody might give you a hug and you're like, I'm not, I'm not feeling that. <laughs> but sometimes they give you a hug and you need that. Your spouse comes up and gives you a hug in a tough time. You need that comfort. But if you just don't want them touching you, you're not allowing them to comfort you. And if God is your shepherd, you appreciate the protection, but you have to receive the comfort. You have to allow God to comfort you. And that's really what David's talking about. He's saying, God is everything good, and I want to be a sheep, and he is my shepherd. He's a protector, but he comforts. And I know that tonight, some of you are struggling with your calling. You're struggling with what next. And I just think sometimes those questions are the wrong ones. What next is about what we want. It's about what, what God wants. What, 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 we make it about what God wants for our life. When we say what's next, why not right now? Why not just say, God, I'm yours right now? And live in the moment. Live in the day with your kids. Live in the day with your husband. Live in the day with your wife. Why are we always running to what's next? Because I'm telling you, let me tell you what next, what's next. What's next is right now. The Bible says, why worry about it? You don't even know what tomorrow is going to bring. So why do we as Christians feel like we have to always be out in front of God, knowing what he has? What he has is where you're at right now. You know, I, I, I hear people say, well, we're in seasons and this and this. Well, the good thing about seasons is this. One, they all start, they all end. But another thing about seasons is that I've lived for 40 years, and I can tell you, I've never arrived at a season where I'm like, thankfully, all of it is added up to this. Because what I've learned is that life is just a continual you just continually grow into the things of God and you do things you never thought you would do and God does things that you're amazed by and you continue to push forward. I remember when I was in high school thinking I can't gra- wait to graduate college, what life will be like. Then I graduated college, I was like, I can't wait to get engaged or get married, I was engaged at the time. Then you get married, like, man, I can't imagine what it's like to have kids and you have kids. You're like, man, I can't imagine what it's like to plant this church and we planted the church. And like, man, I can't imagine what it's like to have another kid. And we had four and after you have four kids, like, man, I can't imagine what it's like to get my master's and I can't imagine what it's like to lead when I'm 50. And then I can't imagine what it's like to be retired when I'm 65 and travel around my RV with my wife and visit my kids, whatever it may be. But the problem is you're always, I can't imagine when, but right now is the moment. It's not then. This is the moment. And so what David is saying, he's my comfort. But then he says, and this is the part that helps comfort and protect. But this is the part that I, I, I need you to understand tonight is that a lot of us live our lives not feeling good enough and then feeling like we have to prove ourselves to somebody or something. And what the scripture says is that God will do what he's going to do in your life in front of your friends, in front of your enemies, in front of your haters, in front of your lovers, in front of the doubters, in front of those who hope for you. And you get to a point in life where you're just tired of trying to prove yourself to you, really just yourself. 
And in verse 5, it says, you prepare a feast for me. I don't know about y'all, I like to eat. And Thanksgiving's getting close. I'm thinking of uh, smoked turkeys and uh, some honey-baked hams. Yes, that is a shameless plug. Not that I know anything about honey-baked ham company. I just know they know how to make a ham. And so you got the honey-baked hams and you got, uh, man, I like, my, my father-in-law makes these stuffed jalapenos that will change you. They will, they will make you uh, pray hard because they're so delicious and so grateful for the goodness of God. They are amazing. I love Thanksgiving, but I'll tell you what I love even more is whenever I know God is preparing a feast for me because I can't even begin to imagine what that feast looks like. And it says, in the presence of my enemies, not in the presence of my loved ones, in the presence of my enemies. And it's not because God's pointing his finger in their face. It's because he wants them to honor him as well. And he knows if your life honors him, that even your enemies can come to know him. And he says, you honor me by anointing my head with oil. That's a way of me saying, I approve. This is my child. This is somebody that I believe in. And he says, my cup overflows with blessings. You've heard me say it many times that God has really shown us that this new season of our church, not even a new season, it is a continued season. We came into this building at the uh, beginning of 2021 in March 2021, and God said, well, I'm going to fill it, just, just build it. And so we built it, and he filled it, filled it multiple times, and now here we are in October of 2022. Is it 2022? It's only been a year and a couple months. Well, here we are. It feels like it's been about three, but here we are. <laughs> it's been, been about five years since 2020, I think. But it's been great. I've loved it. This has been incredible. And here we are in 2022. And God said, hey, I'm the wine. You're the wineskin. Give me a new wineskin and I will overflow it again. And so I understand this context right now. It's very personal because when I read my cup overflows with blessings, what he's told us as a church is you give me the wineskin and I'll overflow with the wine. I will give you everything and more that you believe me for. And that's what he's saying in your life. You give me your finances and I will overflow it. We have our one day coming up here in uh, November. And one day is um, it's all of our church we're asking we're taking one day to do one offering. We're not taking it up physically. We're going to have a drop down on our, on our giving online where you can give to our one day. And what it is, it's one day where we're going to build the temple. We don't know if we're buying. We don't know if we're leasing. We don't know if we're moving, uh, going to be mobile. We don't know yet. We're still looking. We're still waiting for God to open up doors. We're having conversations with realtors and things like that. Um, but what we do know is that God said, you give me the wineskin, I'll overflow it with wine. And so we said, all right, God, we're going to believe that you're going to multiply everything given. And so those of you who give regularly to Palms Church, you tithe here. You give what God's asked us to give out of our, out of our uh, monthly income. We're asking you on that one day in November, would you pray about a specific amount, you and your spouse or you by yourself if you're not married, that you want to give on that particular day? And we know that God will multiply it. It's not a prosperity gospel, but the gospel is prosperity, meaning it's not saying it's going to multiply your money. It's saying it's going to multiply your life. And so we're saying on that particular day, would you pray and ask God what he wants you to give? Because you're a part of the body here and and I know that God is doing it. What, what does he want you to give towards this, this one day of building the temple? And for those of you that don't tithe and you're not a part of the giving here, we're asking you, don't give on that one day above and beyond your tithe. We're asking you on that one day in November, will you commit to giving as a tithe for the first time and let that be the beginning of your faithfulness to God with your finances? And we're believing that God's gonna build this temple. We're believing that he's going to do it debt-free. We're believing that it's not going to, we're not going to have to take any kind of money and do anything. We don't have any of that as a church, and we're asking that that would be a day where we can financially come together and give above and beyond so we can build the temple because we know. And I believe it's going to be a sacrifice. And if it's not, I tell them, don't do it then. Make sure it's a sacrifice. It's got to, you got to feel it, you know. Um, when you give, you got to feel it. Or else uh, I say, you know, sacrifice is when you miss it. 
Um, it's, it's not when you can give it and forget about it. Uh, and and I, I want you to really press in and really miss it and really allow God to do it. Only he can do that with that. And so it says, my cup overflows with blessings. Ooh, the church is going to overflow with blessings. God's going to do it over and over and over again. And then I love verse six. It says, surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life and I'll live in the house of the Lord forever. I love this promise. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life and I'll live in the house of the Lord forever. He sees you. He loves you. He wants to be your shepherd. Let him. As a way to end this moment, I want to just, I want to read this together, this entire psalm. Can we do that? Verse one, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along the right path, bringing honor to his name. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast before me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Come on, wherever you're at, can you just thank God for that? Can you thank him for his faithfulness? Can you thank him for his goodness and his love and his care? Father, we just surrender to you. And we give you this Wednesday, and we just thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that you are a great shepherd. God, I just pray tonight that they would find rest, that we would find rest in who you are. We would find strength in who you are. We would find hope in who you are. We would find love in who you are. We would find care in who you are. We would find compassion in who you are. God, we need you. We need all of you, and we thank you. There is nobody like you. God, we stand here today and we say in the presence of our enemies or whoever else, we just want you to prepare this table because we're tired of trying to put the right utensils in the right place and the right cups and the right glasses. We just need your hand on us. We love you and we surrender and we're thankful. And we give you all that we are. Come on, as a way to give an exclamation point tonight, I want you just to ask the Lord for whatever it is that's holding you back from allowing him to be your shepherd or whatever valley you're in, would you just trust him right now? Would you ask him? Would you ask him for strength? Would you ask him for comfort? Would you ask him for peace? You have to allow comfort. Would you ask him for that? We're just gonna, one more time, let's just sing this chorus as a way to proclaim that we believe. And if you don't know Jesus, right now, take a moment. And just say, Palms Church, let's say this with all those that are saying it today for the first time. Can we just say, dear Jesus, I believe that Jesus died, but he rose again. Today I surrender. I give you my life. I give you my dreams. I give you all that I am and all that I desire to be. I know that you're the king and I surrender in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's sing this chorus. So I throw up my hands and praise you again and again. Cause all that I have is a hallelujah and hallelujah. And I know it's not much, but I've nothing else fit for a king. Except for a heart singing hallelujah and hallelujah. So I throw up my hands and praise you again and again. 
Cause all that I have is a hallelujah and hallelujah And I know it's not much, but I've nothing else fit for a king Except for a heart singing hallelujah and hallelujah. So come on, my soul. Oh, don't you get shy on me. Lift up your soul. Cause you've got a lion inside of those lungs. So get up and praise the Lord. So come on, my soul. Oh, don't you get shy on me. Lift up your soul. Cause you've got a lion inside of those lungs. So get up and praise the Lord. One more time. So I throw up. So I throw up my praise you again and again cause all that I have is a hallelujah and hallelujah and I know it's not much but I've nothing else fit for a king except for a heart singing hallelujah and hallelujah. But we love you, Palms. We can't wait to see you this weekend. Sunday we'll be in person or online on Facebook and YouTube. We love you guys. We'll see you soon.